You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing cutting-edge energy management software for battery optimisation, virtual power plants and distributed energy resources. And Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson, I'm the editor of Renew Economy. And joining me on yet another interesting week in the energy world is David Leach, the ITK principal. David, I trust you are well. Giles, I'm very well. Just back from the Sunshine Coast. Uh, didn't get a chance to look at Barumba Pumped Hydro site, but uh, that'll be on my next visit. <laughs> well, you managed to make it, make it back, I understand, from the Sunshine Coast to Sydney in, in one day in an electric car. Who knew that was possible? Yes, 1,100 kilometres, I think as much as the charging stations, the traffic are around Brisbane and the Sunshine Coast, uh, Gold Coast, uh, uh, it put anyone off doing that trip every day of their life, that's for sure. Oh yeah, but you did an electric car, David, you did an electric car. I think that's become a, a, a kind of boring topic up and down these main highways these days. I mean, I think it's more the uh, New England Highway and all the other parts in New South Wales where we're going to need the government to, to, to get going. And I, I saw amongst many other things. But look, let's get to the main uh, news. We've got a great guest this week uh, who wants to talk about uh, a very big transaction in the utility sector. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, so look, the big news this week, obviously, was the $18.4 billion bid uh, logged for Origin Energy by a consortium led by Brookfield. Brookfield, you will remember, teamed up with uh, Mike Cannon-Brooks for a bit of a tilt at AGL. Um, AGL told them both to get lost, so um, Brookfield decided that it wanted to pursue other things. Mike Cannon-Brooks, of course, has continued to agitate uh, at AGL. He's got an 11.3%, and next week we will see whether the independent directors that he has proposed get up. Um, a battle continues there, but it's interesting to see where the share, major shareholder investors will lie. Brookfield, in the meantime, turned its eyes onto Origin Energy. Fascinating plan, uh, basically teaming up with Mid-Ocean Energy, a, um, another big um, fossil fuel player from the US. They plan to split the assets of Origin in two, which is much easier there than it would be in AGL. Mid-Ocean will take the LNG assets, Brookfield will take the uh, utility and retail assets of Origin Energy and it plans to spend some $20 billion. David, um, fast-tracking the switch to renewables and storage, which kind of fills well, in well, that well, gap. Well, Giles, uh, before, just, you know, out to 2050, uh, I don't know, $20 billion, that's not really fast-tracking. No, fast 2030, tracking. 2030, 2030, 2030, yes, yeah, oh, no, 20, give them. 2030, yeah. 2030 is fast and that's the required speed. That's the, and that's the one that you've been agitating for. Anyway, without me sort of waffling on um, too much, that's will set the scene. I got to speak to Luke Edwards, the head of renewables for um, Brookfield and the Asia Pacific, um, the man kind of behind this transaction, and um, this is what he had to say. Why Origin Energy and why now? Thanks, Giles. Great question. We've been interested in this space for a while, as you as you would have seen. Uh, we had a look at AGL earlier in the year, and, and now you see us um, looking at a, at a potential transaction with Origin. It's why now. Um, it's really clear that our market really needs a lot of capital, um, and and we need that capital to meet Australia's legislated emissions targets that were legislated earlier this year. Last year, um, as you're no doubt aware, we raised our inaugural global transition fund. 
Now, this fund is a US $15 billion fund that's solely dedicated to investing in the transition. And why Origin? It's, it's really Australia's best positioned Gentailer business. And we think the company has a strong management team. And what we really like about what they've done is they've really found focus in all of their business plans and, and everything that they've done on transitioning their business. And we think with all the action they've taken in the past past year or two, that they're really well positioned in the market. It's interesting that you say that. So I'm, I'm guessing what you're saying, are you going to be keeping the um, Origin executive team? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's our that's our current intention, and okay. yeah. we've we've been we've been um, talking to them now since since August, and and we think they're a really high quality team, and um, we see and and it's look it's really one of the reasons that that attracts us to to this opportunity, and and one of the reasons um, one of the reasons that that we think it it is uh, it is the the right platform to um, invest in the transition. Um, the team's done a really good job. Um, yeah, definitely in in the past year or you know um, year to well, they've certainly sort years. of cleared the yeah they've certainly cleared the way from you haven't they? I mean, in terms of sort of giving a closure date for a RAR ring, but they haven't really given much indication of sort of the investment of the scale that you guys are talking about. Um, I guess that's your you provide the missing link with the deep pockets and the capital. You're you're talking about spending twenty billion dollars over the next eight years. Um, that's a phenomenal amount of money. Yeah, no, that's definitely right. They've definitely um, repositioned the business so it, it's it's ready for its its next stage of growth. Um, and <clears throat> one of the one of the the great things about this potential transaction is taking a company that has all of the all of the plans and all of the capability um, out of the listed environment, uh, putting it into the to the private environment, um, coming together with. Uh, you know, one of uh, the world's largest renewable developers, um, Brookfield Renewable, um, to bring together a combination of really large-scale capital, um, a lot of fantastic global experience of investing in renewables for, for over 30 years, and then pairing that with a, a really focused a really focused team who has a visible pipeline, um, lots of lots of actionable opportunities, and and really um, a, a strong focus on on transforming the company to to turn it into a green tailor. So the twenty billion dollars which you've talked about, um, have you identified which projects? What sort of projects are we talking about? What sort of timeline are we talking about? It's a very specific number. Um, is that how much yep. that is needed to replace? Um, the core capacity, or is it to seize other opportunities to sort of you know take a, a more dominant position in the market? Yeah, look, we're right at the, the very early stages of this transaction, and and still um, still looking to to do due diligence on the on the company. So, um, I can't I can't tell you hand on heart that um, there there is um, um, several projects that are specifically identified. Um, to to um, invest in and and put twenty billion dollars um, into those projects, but but what I can say is, um, based on our our due diligence that we've done outside in and and the work we've done outside in, um, we've we've identified a you know a, a, a number of a number of projects that that could be could be used to to replace um, Origins um, existing g generation um, fleet that includes um, Assets like Araring um, that that will get get phased out um, 
know, this stage in 2025, um, there'll be uh, the pipeline that that the company has, of which we'll we'll be doing um, due diligence due diligence on that over the over the coming weeks. Um, but but more importantly, that the 20 billion is about money that needs to be spent by 2030, um, and and that's that's sort of for you know nine to nine to eleven gigawatts worth of worth of capacity. Um, and so during during our due, due diligence, we're, we're going to to identify the projects that are that are actionable today, and and we'll we'll look to commit to investing in in future projects that that will will um, no doubt identify over time. Because Origin's practice in the past is basically to have a project built um, or identify one, but then basically have a contract with it. It doesn't own very much um, wind and solar, um, really. Uh, do you have a different strategy on that? Will you own the assets yourselves? Yeah, look, I think the um, I, look. I totally agree with you. Their historical strategy has has been a, a <clears throat> one that's more capital light. Um, we we don't have a, a hard and fast view on exactly how every megawatt hour in the demand book should be replaced, um, and there's going to be different reasons for taking different action. But our our preference and and um, the way you know we, we've built our thesis and our our business plan to date and and you know. Back to your earlier question, how we've come up with the twenty billion dollars is is building all of that on balance sheet. So the twenty billion dollars would be used to build the renewable capacity and 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 therefore generation to to replace um, the the generation that's required for Origin's um, retail customers. And so eleven gigawatts, which you mentioned just um, just a moment ago, is that sort of wind and solar? Or does that include the storage component as well? Um, that's that's a mix of, of all technology. So it's it's large scale wind and solar and and grid scale batteries and and hydro to the extent that it makes make sense to 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 invest in hydro. Okay, you may mention that before at the start of the um, this interview that um, Origin was best placed. Can you just sort of tell us a bit more about that? I mean, you obviously had a look at AGL. That just seems really complicated in the sense that um, it's still heavily invested in coal. It's still agonising about the timing of its exit. Um, did you also have a look at Energy Australia, for instance? Yeah, look, I can't comment on any sort of M and A activity that that we have or or haven't done. That that's that's not public. Um, obviously, the the AGL situation w was public. Um, what what I what I can say uh, though is, Origin. When we when we talk about Origin <clears throat> being best placed, um, they've really they've really spent a lot of time um, recently focusing the business on the task that lies ahead, and um, that trickles right from the top. So you have to start with with an engaged management team. Who is all committed, and 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 we believe, based based on all of the interactions we've had today, that that they're committed to to um, replacing um, their existing um, generation um, sources and 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 replacing it with with green energy, um, <clears throat> but also also just positioning the business so that it has um, the the right the right balance sheet to do that. Um, the, the the company spent a lot of time. Um, delevering and and putting itself in a position where it is able to is able to fund um, growth. We, we think we can turbocharge that in the in the private setting um, through a combination of of reinvesting reinvesting dividends in the business um, and and also um, bringing new capital into the business uh, for new for new projects. Um, and I think also um, the other thing that we really like about Origin is the the fact that it's got nearly three gigawatts of gas fired peaking capacity and 
And, and our view is that gas is going to be required in the system to 2050. And, and in, it's, a, it's really for us about net zero, not zero, zero. And the, and, and the business has, has a great portfolio that they can use, that, that a great um, starting portfolio and, and of assets um, for us to, to, um, to create a, a, a full-scale um, platform that'll, that'll be a green tailor in the future. Right. I'm fascinated with that green tailor description. Um, that's obviously sort of talking about your relationship with the consumers. Now, they're going to be very engaged with things like rooftop solar, battery storage, mm-hmm. electric vehicles. How are you imagining um, How are you imagining that part of the business? Yeah, look, it, it's, a, it's a great question. And, and um, that, that's a part of the business that, that really excites us as well. Um, Origin has... has uh, in addition, in addition to everything it's done with with Araring and and its, its its efforts around large scale generation, has really invested a lot in positioning itself for the energy future from a technical perspective and a, and a and a um an IT perspective. So we 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 really like the the Kraken product and and um and obviously as as part of this we'll we'll be we're looking to acquire the twenty percent stake in Octopus that that Origin has, and. Um, we think combine, combining their their sort of forward thinking around how they've how they've positioned and set up their IT stack with all of the the work they've done to develop new products um, for consumers like our VPP products, like um, rooftop solar products with, with batteries um, and 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 other other um, services around um, hot water uh, EVs. Um, we think it's just uh, they've got this great opportunity to capitalize to capitalize on all of that investment, both um, the investment in the technology, but also the investment in the IP, because it, it's quite a hard nut to solve, um, and and a lot of a lot of companies have struggled to do it to date on scale. Um, so we're really excited about that business, and and um, we're going to continue to invest in it and and see it as a real um, a real avenue for growth in the business. Just two um, quick questions, just to sort of conclude, because I know you're pressed for time. The we're ready for this transition. We're now seeing the big utilities, or particularly East Origin, if you take them over, sort of wanting to sort of switch quite quickly. We kind of know what the targets are. There's an 82% federal target for labour. They've got their emissions target. We've got state-based targets now, which are quite ambitious. 80% by 2035 in Queensland, 95% in Victoria. Big transition plan in New South Wales. What worries you though about your ability to actually spend that 20 billion and have these things built? I mean, is it is it sort of transmission constraints? Is it rules and regulations? It seems to me, and sort of talking to other people today, that there's a lot to be done in the background, um, even though you really want to spend that much money that quickly. Yep. Yep. Look, uh, I think you, the 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 you've you've hit the nail on the head there um there are going to be a lot of factors that are not going to be in our control and and um not going to be in anyone's control quite frankly um but what what we are doing is is we are saying that we are here and and ready to to invest a, a material amount of capital to help decarbonize the grid and we're going to do everything within our control and and everything that that we can um, we can influence to get that done. Um, and just because we we say we have to spend that money um, over a certain period of time or build that amount of generation over a certain period of time, um, we're we're not going to um, go and and spend the money for the sake of it. 
um, we're going to we're going to be be finding the the projects that um, you know, deliver the lowest cost of energy um, and and help help with price price affordability for consumers and 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 really um, and that's about that's about developing large scale so the the, the larger the larger the projects um, the, the theoretically the the lower the cost and you should and and to do those large projects you need transmission and and um, you're going to need all of these um, renewable energy zones built in New South Wales and Victoria and, and the material amount of investment that's going into to Queensland um, and so so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be looking at projects and and looking to develop projects in those areas and and we're gonna we're like everyone else we're just gonna have to if, if they're delayed we're gonna have to wait um, but but when when the when the the projects are shovel ready, we we're going to to um, go as quick as we can because um, you know we 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 believe that we, we need to get on with it. And and does all this mean then lower bills in the future for consumers? Because that's a big question for your customers now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a it's a, a great question, and and look, I, I wish I had a crystal ball to answer it. Um, look, generation's one part of the puzzle. Um, there's there's a lot of other parts of the puzzle that, that also need to be need to be need to be solved, um, but I think I think one thing that um, a lot of people tend to forget is there's going to be a lot of investment in in the um, in the coming coming years coming decades, um, but there's also going to be a lot more energy consumed, um, and we're going to be going from a uh, yeah, a lot of users are going to be going from predominant users of gas. Um, that's you know, residential and and industrial users are going to are going to start switching heat loads from gas to um, electricity and um, and that 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 investment is is going to have to be spread across um, more electrons going through the system. So on a on a per unit basis, um, theoretically the 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 price should should be be um, at levels that, that are either the same or, um, and in theory, lower because you're you're putting in um, generation into the into the market that um, has has zero marginal cost to run, or close to zero marginal cost. Let's call it. So, Luke, this deal has been sort of seen by the market as quite a landmark um, <laughs> landmark event. I mean, taking over sort of the biggest utility in Australia. How is it seen internally in Brookfield in terms of um, you know the transition fund? I mean, it's still a huge amount of capital and commitment. Um, just the purchase price itself. Um, I mean, is this like a sort of a make or break thing for you? Is this sort of rolling the dice? Um, you probably <laughs> maybe less risk averse than that description. Um, how's it been seen internally? Because uh, Australia is like a fascinating market when it comes to the electricity transition. Yeah, look, we before we we make offers like this, uh, we do a lot of work internally, um, uh, and and we do we do a lot of uh, a lot of due diligence and 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 work um, to make sure that <clears throat> the business is well understood. Um, the business models are are also well understood and and that 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 we we um, we're looking at the market in the right way. Uh, one of the benefits of of Brookfield is we have a, a global platform. Um, so we can we can take a lot of um, expertise that's on the ground and and in market. Um, we've been here for 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 over fifteen years. Um, and then we can also pair that with a lot of global expertise of of people who had had who have had experience in in other markets, um North America and and Europe, for example. Um, so <clears throat> this this deal um, internally is is seen in a good light because um, it's doing exactly what 
the transition fund was set up to do. And, and I think that that's really important. That the transition fund was set up last year. Um, we raised $15 billion. Um, we have um, a lot of great um, you know, um, limited partners in that fund that have also committed to um, co-investing with us. And um, and and we, we, we our, our job is to go out and find opportunities like this and and um, and do, do two things. It's, it's one, it, it's to decarbonize and it's to it's to um, you know, build renewables so we can we can focus on one of our core pillars of additionality. But it's also to get a fair and risk adjusted return for our investors. Um, so we wouldn't be doing this if if we didn't think that there was there was the right level of risk adjusted return there, and and we also wouldn't be doing it if we didn't think there was a, a material transition opportunity um, for the fund. Hmm. Well, look, um, I've got a dozens and dozens more questions, and I'm sure our listeners do too, but um, we do understand that um, your time um, is uh, very valuable, particularly this day when you've launched this uh, huge bid for um, Origin Energy, and we thank you very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast, and um, good luck over the coming months. Great. Thanks very much, Charles. Have a great day. And that was Luke Edwards, the Head of Renewables uh, for Brookfield Asset Management in the Asia-Pacific region. Um, David... Um, it was interesting what he said there about Origin being the most attractive as of the utilities in Australia because it was the most advanced. And I guess it is true to say that um, once it closes Araring in 2025, it will be the first of the big three or even the big four utilities to have Gen Taylors to have no coal in its portfolio. And I guess the fascinating thing in is that Brookfield have kind of identified the deficit of origin which was it's closing stuff down but it's not building enough stuff to replace it but they intend to fix that uh yes indeed it's interesting they're prepared to go ahead with that even as the government uh proposes to re-enter the re retail in space state government in victoria and even though we've had that in south australia as well and even though in queensland you know about 75 percent of the assets that are going to be built are going to be funded by the state government so in my opinion there's a, a, a very big market and regulatory risk uh, that's been uh, accepted by by Brookfield. It's also interesting that what they're buying are essentially intangible assets, a customer list and, and the um, uh, Octopus uh, software system, as opposed to what Brookfield's historically been known for, which is hard infrastructure assets. No doubt they see the gas power stations as a big part of the firming mix. Uh, but you and I think that gas is going to struggle as batteries and pumped hydro uh, get built because batteries and pumped hydro can use the surplus electricity in the middle of the day. I'd also add, Giles, very quickly that there are some very big uh, accelerator transactions that could go with this Brookfield acquisition, of which by far the most notable is the CWP acquisition. One of the things we were on about last year, we've said for years, I mean, as, as you would know, that this is the sort of thing that the big Gentailers should be doing is, is getting into building wind and solar because that's, what, that's what's really needed. And uh, someone big who can actually get on was important. But, uh, 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 and now I've lost my train of thought. Well, let me fill that in maybe while you sort of regather yourself. Um, look, one of the big issues is it's clearly now that we've got investors here who've got deep pockets, a lot of money. I mean, you've got Brookfield, it's basically the largest fund of its type in the world. You've got the Andrew Forrest, the Mike Cannon Brooks that's got far cars of the world. You know, the three richest men in the country all really behind this green energy transition. The big question, I guess, is whether that infrastructure gets built, the transmission, 
and the rules get redefined and the connection processes and the congestion issues in the grid also get um, resolved and it was um, it was um, timely, I guess, that the AMC has come out with yet another discussion paper um, on grid congestion, which is a really, really big issue. It's a boring and very complicated issue, but um, they've made at least one step forward, which is at least to entertain and include the, um, the developer's option of a hybrid system or a hybrid sort of model to address the grid congestion issues. And that at least shows some acceptance on their part that they need to sort of change their thinking on this. and. Um, and um, you know, I, it, it remains to be seen whether the regulators and the rule makers can actually sort of keep up with you know just this pace of change and pace of development. Yes, Giles, and uh, I know what I was saying. It's really as a student of uh, markets and, and industry economics that this, the utilities industry is really following uh, what's become a standard practice that you get some disruptors come in, lots and lots of cowboys come in uh, with lo small solar and, and cowgirls with uh, small solar and wind farms. And then eventually the big guys decide it's really serious and the industry starts to co uh, consolidate. So we've got the CWP for sale. Uh, we've got Ibridola, the Queensland state government and um, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Tilt all, all uh, going very hard to be essentially replace AGL, Origin and Energy Australia as, you know, the big gentailers that are going to dominate the market. And the other thing is that these retail customer lists are very important. In the end, someone has to buy all of this power. No one has yet worked out how to actually uh, get a dominant market share of the small consumers, although AEMO is arguably not really yet on board in trying to understand that small consumers want to determine their own future, small producers, uh, as much as just having it driven by a centrally driven organisation that seems to know what it, what's best. You know, I think we've got this idea in Queensland now that uh, these switches are going to be put on to the inverters so that the Queensland government can just essentially control the system with it pushing a switch. And that's, that's just the wrong way of going about it. How are you ever going to get demand flexibility and stuff in that well, by coercing people? I mean, you know, we've got Russia running the system or are we, we running, a, you know, market <laughs> democracy? Yeah, I should point, we actually addressed that issue in some detail on the Solar Insiders podcast with uh, Nigel Morris, who has a good old rant against the Queensland government in sort of, you know, ancient ways. And um, that happens to be the most read story on our, our websites this week anyway, sort of the, um, the rather sort of the ancient ways of controlling solar in the Sunshine State. Quite ironic, but um, there you go. Um, David, let's move on to some other issues. Um, there's been a bit of movement on battery storage. We did touch last week on NeoN and its um, new deal, um, its baseload deal, 70 megawatts with BHP, which is really interesting. I'm sort of going deeper into that. Uh, in an article on Renew Economy um, this week, um, sort of quite fascinating. It's actually interesting to see how that uh, new UN has sort of produced a series of very big batteries and sort of you know managed to find a new market um, or a new layer of battery capabilities um, um, in doing so. And we've also seen AGL start construction on the Broken Hill battery and um, GPG completing the Canberra battery, or well, the first of two Canberra batteries. Um, this one, a small 10 megawatt, 20 megawatt hour one, which it built as part of the contract it won with the ACT government. Um, David, what else has been on your... Um, we also saw a solar campus. farm uh, far, uh, get, get the go-ahead in New South Wales, which is great. Uh, it's a small one, though. and uh, uh, Well, it's not small in size, but it's small 
in the absolute scale of things. And, and as I said, this is a market that's becoming a very big players market very quickly. And I, I forgot to include Neo in, in my list, which is silly of me, because of all the companies currently operating in the space, they're the one that I think continues to be at the forefront uh, of actually getting things done and their projects generally do get built on time. I know I've said that several times, but but that remains the case. Look, Giles, the other thing that I, it's transitioned, but of course on Energy Insiders, we like to talk not just about electricity, but the broader transition. And uh, without uh, getting into on the EV space too hard, there are a couple of uh, announcements this week that really caught my eye. Uh, one was an article in the Nikkei Times, Japanese paper of record, uh, pointing out that Tesla's total profit uh, is broadly the same as Toyota's. Now, now Tesla's is arguably operating profits are still smaller than Toyota's, and Toyota's are depressed just in this current quarter. So you, 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 I wouldn't overstate it, but at the same time, it's very clear that the profit per car that Tesla is making is like five, six, seven, eight times in that quarter higher than the profit per car or vehicle that Toyota is making. And every every car manufacturer in the world will be looking at that and saying, well, actually, uh, Tesla has worked out a very good way, a very good money-making, profitable niche. It's uh, and by getting volume up, and EVs have 40% less components, and so this is going to be the market push that's going to drive manufacturers towards EVs because they're going to see it as very profitable, or at least that's my theory. Uh, yeah. The second. Th- I'm- no, I was going to intervene there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really interesting. We actually had a story a couple of weeks ago, um, a Reuters story quoting um, insiders in Toyota. Basically, the crux of that was just go to this very same point as, as, as you're making now, is that basically internally within within Toyota, they've kind of suddenly realised that they've gone down the wrong path. You had this sort of very arrogance. We've got hybrids. We can do hybrids. Hybrids will carry us into the future. Clearly, it won't because of that very problem. They've seen that Tesla is making that much more profit per, per vehicle. So they've actually now created this new division which is actually looking to accelerate the switch to EVs and work out what their best platform can be not just to sort of help design the EVs but also sort of manufacture them more effectively so yeah that's a really interesting point. That's right and and and, and Tesla has some very modern manufacturing techniques like they've cut out the distributor uh, they've got these one-piece uh, chassis, but basically the thing we've known since the beginning is there's something like 30 or 40% less components in an EV, and that means your whole supply chain is completely different, and the supply chains that have been built up by the conventional car industry have been one of their big sources of value, all, those, all these you know, thousands of, thousands of uh, component suppliers and the way they all fit together. But that's, that's all going to come crashing down. And the second story that really caught my eye uh, is that despite the lithium price, uh, uh, is that uh, Volkswagen, which is the second biggest car manufacturer uh, in the world after Toyota, uh, wants to sell its new EVs in Australia, the ID4 and ID3, uh, at roughly comparable prices to the, to the petrol and diesel equivalents, whatever they are, the Touregs and stuff like that. Uh, that it, it does sound to me like that story's very interesting, but the petrol car equivalents must have gone up in price a lot or something uh, for that equivalence to be having. But when you're seeing the equivalence on the capital price, uh, and then the whole of life uh, economics to someone buying an EV suddenly look uh, a whole lot better. Well, no, that's exactly right. Look, I have to take responsibility for that story too. Um, I was invited by VW to go and drive one of their um, new ID4s, um, um, a couple of t- laps around the circuit in St. Ives. 
um, not very far from your place um, a week or so ago and um, look very interesting car and that look that price parity thing is actually quite interesting so look it does actually sort of compare to the Tiguan uh, which is a sort of medium-sized SUV. Now, the Tiguan sort of ranges in price from like 40s up to the 60s, depending on how many bells and whistles you want to put in, into it. And um, I guess the test will be so how many bells and whistles actually come with the electric version um, of the ID4 and the ID5, and then the ID3 will actually follow. But um, yeah, look, it's... Um, it's a, it, it's a very interesting, I mean, it's getting pretty close. Um, unfortunately for most consumers, it's already there at the very top end. If you're talking about Porsches and Mercedes electric and, and even Audis and things like that, there's not much difference in price. Now we're starting to see the conversion in the 60 to 70,000 price range. Um, a long way to go yet to see that conversion in the 30 to 40,000 price range. Uh, yes, that's that's right, and that that's where the great bulk of vehicles are. But as I say, the car manufacturers are, are going to be very incentivized to 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 chase those high margins that Tesla are making, one way or another. Uh, whether they can, all, obviously they can't all do that. And the fact that Tesla's making such a big profit per car is a big carrot to everyone else to say, well, we'll just undercut that a little bit and we'll still do way better than we're doing now. That's enough on that story. Uh, Giles, uh, I, I have uh, run out of uh, other things to say other than, than you know, we, the $20 billion that Origin is uh, committing or Brookfield's committing to spend, that's what, uh, you know, AGL and Energy Australia, we need to spend over $100 billion uh, comfortably over that, uh, maybe 150 billion if you take the household sector into account. Uh, we've got to get it done in the next 15 years. There's still this enormous task to do to get it, it, all the whole system lined up and everyone on board. And I guess we should stop talking, Giles, and, and let the workers get on with it. <laughs> Thank you very much, David. Uh, look, excellent podcast. Um, thank you very much to you. Thank you very much to um, Luke Edwards from Brookfield for joining us on this podcast. Thanks to everyone out there listening. Um, do listen if you're interested to the Solar Insiders podcast with Nigel Morris talking more about the Queensland decision on the ripple controls of rooftop solar. Do check out also the Driven uh, website. Um, that's our EV focused sister site and more on uh, those topics that David mentioned, Toyota and also Volkswagen and the new ID4. And um, we'll be back again next week with another episode of Energy Insiders. Oh, thank you very much to our sponsors, Pylon and Everjet, for your ongoing and continued support. <laughs> now I will sign off. Thank you very much. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen Software is powering the energy system of the future. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solid design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals.